Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 98 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yash Pika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. Um, before we get things started, we have to talk about first our kids for the people that are listening on the video pod. I am rocking a, actually, so funny story here, this is actually a fake Real Madrid jersey. My girlfriend actually got it for me when she did a study abroad in China, I think, three years ago. Um, it's Cristiano Ronaldo on the back, so I think this was his, this is actually the twenty. 16, 17, um, Ronaldo, uh, I think Real Madrid's third kit, alternate mm-hmm. kit jersey. So this one's pretty cool, but obviously it's not a real one. But Tyler, what? I, it looks like you're rocking a training top today. Yeah. I mean, your jersey's okay. looking pretty good. Like, I, I couldn't <laughs> tell. <laughs> hey, we're on video, so. It'd be like, <laughs> you know, my friend was telling me, he's like, you know, jerseys, real or fake, they come from the same place. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> But uh, for my jersey, I'm wearing a Liverpool training kit from this season. The one that oh, has yes, like a lot Nike. of like icons on it. it. Yeah, the, yeah. Look at that Nike. So <laughs> I had to get it. I was like, oh, this could be. This is such a sick kit because I really like the kits that look good enough where you can just wear it as like a normal shirt, and then people mm, will still yeah, think it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So this one just happens to be a training kit. So nice. I like it. Yeah. No, it looks good. And that, is that the. That's a new um, training ground. This is their training logo, like AXA. Okay. I believe it's insurance in England, but it's a lot different from the standard chartered Asian bank (laughs) that's on their (laughs) usual jersey. So they're still keeping it with the the money business kind of the logo, a lot like Atlanta United having a American family insurance, but yeah, sometimes it do be like that. And you got Fly Emirates. At least you don't have a big Chevy logo on yours. No, I was going to say, what's your favorite like sponsor for a jersey that you can remember? You know, um, I guess for United, I always really liked the AIG. That, oh. those, were, those, were, those were just always really clean. But Another me, insurance? Think, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, Fly Emirates always seems to do a pretty subtle job of like, I don't know. I feel like it's so normal to see Fly Emirates that it, you don't even think of it as a kit sponsor. It always just kind of blends in. So to me, I, I kind of like that. It's not too eye-catchingly poppy where it just it's a little too much. The Chevy for me is still kind of annoying because there's been some good United kits these past couple of seasons, but there's that big Chevy logo that just gets slapped right in the middle of it. <laughs> I don't I don't really like it either. It's like a if you had a cross and then you just pancaked it. It's just yeah. like, let's just squash it a little bit. It's like Chevy. <laughs> for um, me, it's like... I, I, this is really random, but I believe the team is Stevenage. They have oh. Burger King as their logo. So oh, it just looks so goofy just to have like the Burger King logo on the is center. Is it the crown or is it like the actual, like if you go to the fast food restaurant right now, that logo? Like that Burger logo. If you oh, went wow. to go to the actual restaurant, like it's, it's so funny. It's just so off, off place. It's not the prettiest, but it just looks really goofy to me. And I also prefer having, a logo from something that's not as business. Oh, I guess, you know, all these are businesses, obviously, but it's just like one that's a little bit more goofy. Mm. You know, it's just yeah. seeing like Carlsberg, like the, the alcoholic beverage or yeah, for yeah. Liverpool instead of, you know, a bank. So no, that's funny. Or like that's, that's kind of what I, I wish, like. I don't know if Heineken, like I know Heineken is a sponsor for Champions League, but I don't know if it's been on a shirt or a jersey. So I don't know. But if, no, I agree with you. I think sometimes those wacky ones are kind of really funny just to look at and such. Because I know Angry Birds is on um, Everton, right? But it's not the full sponsor. It's like the, yeah, it's just on the shoulder. Yeah, that's a like new a, one. Now you have shoulder sponsors. Yeah. So Angry Birds is just funny. I, I forgot that's a that's still an app and stuff. <laughs> it's still a game people play. Yeah. <laughs> but um, before we get in a big tangent, just about talking about jerseys and kit sponsors. Uh, we quickly wanted to open this up with a uh, little excerpt from Spotify. I'm sure all of you know Spotify on Instagram stories, Twitter. Everyone's been sharing their um, Spotify wrap-up playlists. Basically, it's just a huge culmination of just Spotify tracking, which you've been listening to um, from this past year. And it's pretty cool seeing what people's top artists were, their top genre, their best albums, who they, what songs they've listened to the most. Interesting thing for us, since we are a podcast and we publish on Spotify, um, they actually give us some analytics, like kind of uh, end of the year, not fully end of the year, but beginning of December. So some interesting ones right here. We have in 2020, we have uploaded 38 episodes to Spotify, 
um, which culminates to 1,992 minutes, which if you do the math is 33.2 hours. Don't worry, we did it for you. Um, so you didn't have to worry about calculating in your head while you're driving. Um, and our biggest increase actually in listener listener base is Finland, 100% and Brazil for 33%. So we got the love from all across the world right there. Um, we were listened to by 16 countries on Spotify from this past year. And we increased our following by 15%, 50%. Um, so not a bad 2020. It's kind of amazing seeing how like we pretty much uploaded 38 episodes in 2020, which is crazy because it seems like this year has just flown by um if you really think about it it's it's like flown by but also dragged on at the same oh, time yeah. but <laughs> to see a 50 percent increase this is that's huge that's mm-hmm. if this was a roth ira or just savings you just you wish you have like six to ten percent so you're seeing 50 percent. that's huge and then oh, also yeah. seeing finland increase to 100 percent. i'm guessing we had no followers in finland and then at least one guy followed us or gar- yeah. guy or girl. And then like seeing things like that, 16 countries on Spotify. We don't know what our Apple podcast stats are or Podbean, things like that, at least for the year yet. So for just Spotify alone, these are some pretty cool stats just to see on one of our big platforms that we put the podcast on to see these kind of stats because I love me some stats. Yeah. <laughs> so seeing yeah, this stats, is really stats, cool to me. Stats are stats are really cool. And like, you know, once again, shout out to you guys for, you know, listening to us for this whole year. I think that's one of the one of the cooler things, just seeing the increase in following, the different countries that have listened to us, and also the just obviously the Finland and Brazil spikes. Those are awesome. So um shout out to all you guys uh for the love and support and listening to the show. But I guess that's no better segue to jump right into the show. Um, first, we got the, obviously in a classic fashion, we like to start off with the game of the week from last week, which was Chelsea Tottenham. And in classic fashion, we hyped it up too much and it <laughs> became a stinker. It was a classic Jose Mourinho big game matchup, just goes in looking for a point and that's all he cares about. And, you know, his dream came true. It was a nil-nil draw. A very, very boring, dull, dry game. And, you know, at the end of the day, Mourinho will like that. He doesn't care. He'll take the point. This is a big opponent for Jose Mourinho. So this is classic. Like I was just saying, I'm just going to echo what he says, basically, because it's it was the struggle. Just seeing a nil-nil. It's vintage, vintage Mourinho. Yeah, vintage Mourinho, Mourinho at just, his finest. It's like the primetime game. It's like, all right, nothing. <laughs> and here's nothing like, you know, presenting like a dish, that meme where it's like presenting a dish of food and it's like nothing's in it. Like that's basically <laughs> it. But if anything, they got a point and so did Chelsea, mm-hmm. you know, Tottenham actually surprisingly enough this season have only conceded nine goals so far and they have that's one of the great. best defenses in the league. Chelsea actually have a pretty good defense this season too. Yeah. And Edward Mendy, man, who would have thought take a cat out of goal? <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say improve your save wavelength there but <laughs> this was a very just Chelsea dominant possession kind of game it was just you know letting Chelsea have all the possession take the shots and then having Tottenham counterattack when need be so this is very reminiscent of the park the bus classic Mourinho tactics as well this is not very surprising to see in this kind of match it was a little unfortunate given that it was such a good matchup being a London Derby, but for us, I feel like we did kind of jinx it. I literally texted Yush during this game. I was just like, I think we jinxed the game. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yep. It was like, we knew this was a possibility after you're saying, oh, this is going to be a great match. And then it's like, psych. Nope, it was not. But if anything, Tottenham are still on the top of the table. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, for any Tottenham fan, this is, I think, the longest stint they've been top of the league. In yeah. the Premier League for the past decade, so yeah. this is like they'll take it if if it's yeah. a draw, if it's an ugly game that all they care about is points, and that's Mourinho for you right there. So mm-hmm. it's it's big news for them. It's big news for them because they obviously have the better goal differential than Liverpool and stuff. But um, for Chelsea, it's one of those games you kind of feel like they should have won or try to at least um, score a goal here or there. But you know they're still doing pretty good and chugging along. Uh, but like Tyler said, there's really not much to go into, you know, in terms of talking about this game. So we'll kind of just switch over to the Southampton-Manchester United matchup where it was a crazy game. Southampton um, took a 2-0 lead in the first half and then United roared back with Edison Cavani scoring two goals, scoring the game winner to win it 3-2. For me, 
um, it, it was it was one of those classic games of just uh, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of Ole Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of getting outclassed a bit in the first half. Ralph Hasenhutl had his um, got the tactics right in the first half. The press was just too much for Manchester United. Um, Southampton just looked like they wanted it. James Ward-Prowse was like hit what probably another excellent free kick, something he does very routinely at this point. Um, but man, Southampton looked really good. And then, you know, got to give credit to Solskjaer a little bit. He did bring in the subs of Cavani and such. And, you know, that changed the game a lot. But, you know, for me, Edison Cavani, uh, when I was watching that game, it's still shocking to me that he was such a free, he was a free agent for that long in the summer transfer window because he's shown in his brief stints right now that he still has a lot of quality. Um, and even for someone as old as he is, which is, I, I think he's what, 33 at this point, um, 32 or 33, uh, there, he yeah. still has a lot of quality um, within him. And it's some, and like the way he's playing, it almost seems like he's trying to prove himself to everyone that, you know, wrote him off and such. So that to me, it's still a little shocking that a lot of European clubs didn't snatch him up sooner, considering how good of a player he still is. It might have been the wage. It might have yeah. been one of those old players who's <laughs> like, ah, I've been in the game for a while. I'd like a 150K <laughs> yeah. for a to week. Yeah, to be fair, his wage isn't to the point where it's like Alexi Sanchez or Falcao wages. And obviously, Manchester United are a club that can afford, one of those big clubs that can afford, you know, relatively high wages. So it's one of those things, but... Yeah, I, I'm pretty impressed for a Manchester United fan for him to take num- the number seven shirt. He's done pretty well. And I think, you know, he's already outperformed Falcao in, <laughs> in two months at the club than Falcao did as a whole season. Um, you know, that South American striker curse that we've kind of had wearing that number seven. So to me, it's good to see Cavani firing at a very high level right now. Mm-hmm. He literally put the team on his back and helped I know. United come back from 2-0 down. We thought yeah. like David Beckham regen Ward Prowse just kind of put the game to bed a little bit. I know. That, that, it, like, it was, his free kicks are just so precise. It's just so precise. It's so good. Like the, the, his free kicks are so good. You just kind of wonder if like a club would just snatch him up just for his free kicks. But obviously he's kind of made a name for himself at Southampton being, you know, that box to box midfielder and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being that person that takes the free kicks. But gosh, <laughs> one thing that did scare me was David De Gea got a knee injury in that game after trying to save that free kick. I think he hit his knee on the post and um, Dean Henderson actually had to come in. But as we saw in the Champions League game this midweek, David De Gea did, did return back in the lineup. So it's not, I would say, Dean Henderson's chance to shine because um, unfortunately De Gea got back um, got back healthy and such. So Unfortunately, De Gea well, is healthy. I, I guess fortunately, <laughs> I'm still a David De Gea backer, but I'm looking for Dean Henderson's perspective. Um, it's not his time to just take over the United goalkeeping run. But to me, um, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's one of those games that still shows that United need, I think, a proper, a proper manager, I would say. Someone that takes it, um, that can elevate the squad consistently, to perform consistently because this is just too much inconsistency. It's like um, one half we're good, one half we're bad, one quarter of the half we're really good, one quarter of the half we're really bad, mismanagement. It's just signs of just like there's too much inconsistencies. And um, it kind of reminds me like a lot of people like to make jokes that this United team under Solskjaer is just vibes FC. And I think back of the FIFA 21 song, it's like a new heat waves, the song. Because uh, late night, I'm thinking about you. And I just feel like that song just plays in the locker room. And it's just like when they lose, it's just a vibe of like when you get smashed 3-0 and that song comes on, it's all, everything's all good. So to me, that's just what United are, just the consistently inconsistent team of the Premier League. So I'll just put a bow on Manchester United right there. And we'll move over to Brighton-Liverpool, which ended up finishing 1-1. But I think the biggest storyline of this game was Klopp after in the post-game interview basically went after the Premier League and more specifically he kind of got a little flack for this but went after the broadcaster that was giving the interview um, which was conducting the interview for the Premier League Klopp kind of went after him a little bit and in a sense started blaming him um, for the scheduling of games and the broadcaster kind of clapped back and said you know it's not how are you putting the blame on a broadcaster when I'm not the one making these big decisions you should be going up to your Um, board level and talking to them about this stuff and basically the whole argument is around the 12 p.m 12 30 kickoff lunchtime kickoff on saturday oligona solskjaer has blasted premier league for it and klopp has gone out to do it um Mourinho 
and Pep Guardiola have also gone after um, this scheduling conflict. So, you know, I I don't know. I wanted to hear your thoughts about that. I, I, I didn't think it was a really good look for a Klopp per se to kind of go after the broadcaster. I mean, I have no problem with him going after the Premier League, but I thought going after the broadcaster and getting snarky at him for like no reason was just a little bit over overboard, I would say. I think it's just a little bit of that frustration of having such a decimated team from injury because I think in the same game, James Milner picked up a hamstring yeah. injury and the the interviewer asked, James Milner, hamstring injury, question mark? And then Klopp just replies, yes, congratulations. That That's what happened. So I think just seeing one of the Swiss Army knives of the team, just the, the player that usually isn't injured also pick up an injury in this basically plague of injuries for the team it's just been very frustrating for Klopp because also on top of that the scheduling just doesn't help and just more so compounds that issue of seeing more injuries for the team and for the people that have to step up like Nico Williams Nathaniel Phillips it's not easy for them and it's a lot of pressure for them because Nico Williams he didn't really have a great game against Brighton either and there's been a lot of criticism from people not Liverpool fans, in my opinion, that are saying, you know, Liverpool don't have a, a decent backup. It's like, what do you expect? He's literally the backup for the best right back, in my opinion, in the world right now. So, of course, he's not going to be a carbon copy. He can really only do the best he can because he's like a 19-year-old Welsh boy from the academy. So, and he's playing just straight up now starting for the, the team that was a former champion. So, mm-hmm. Now it's just a lot of pressure all of a sudden just for these players and kind of getting acclimated to this system really quickly. And I still feel like they're doing a decent job. You know, uh, this game was another VAR massacre. I feel like for Liverpool, it's just two penalties against Liverpool and two offside goals against Liverpool. It's we got a little lucky at times, but then also just very unlucky once again. So I feel like at least for the Salah offside goal is it it could have gone either way, but yeah, I got that magnus magnifying scope out and just like all right, is he off? It's like uh, I think he's off by a millimeter. So just little things like that. I feel like if if we're going that precise and it's like a toss up, in most other sports, I don't know if this is one hundred percent correct, but I feel like it is. It's just you know in baseball at least and in, in football if it's like if it, it's gonna be a first down or a fourth down. They'll measure it, but if it's a little bit of a toss-up, they give it the benefit of the doubt and just like let the play continue or mm-hmm. you know let the score happen. But at least for VR in the Premier League, if there's an a, like a slight hint that something could be wrong or something goes wrong, then they call it against mm-hmm. you know what could happen. And the penalty, that game-winning penalty that was called against Liverpool, was because Robertson swung a boot and missed the ball and hit <laughs> Welbeck's toe. And Welbeck didn't go down until a few seconds after, but it's just little things like that can even cause the penalty too. So it's it's getting really technical, I'd feel like, in the Premier League. Not only for Liverpool, but just the league as a whole for just the game itself. I feel yeah. like it's starting to disrupt the flow just ever so slightly. Because yeah, I, now I Yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say with the um VAR, I mean we we kind of know this at this point. It's just they're gonna get very technical and very magnifying glass with it because you know uh, at least if one thing VAR does keep getting like the offside like call keep like they they I guess in a way officiate it the same way where they just continuously look at it very magnified way and you know they will break down and bring out the rulers and everything. So you can't really hurt them for that. They're calling it consistently as is, like they're looking at it like a super computerized screen. But the Robertson thing, I think, is the one that um, I was kind of iffy about. It's one of those things like, yeah, technically, yeah, he did hit his foot. uh, And you've seen players go down for a lot less. I mean, Liverpool players have done it. United players have done it. City players have done it. I mean, everyone does it. And it's just one of those things, the ref at the end of the day, who was officiating the game, just kind of called it what he called it. And maybe if there was a different ref, a different moment, and maybe if it wasn't the 90th minute, maybe if this happened in the 23rd minute of the first half, this isn't given a pen. So it's just one of those things. That's probably the biggest criticism of VAR. That part of it isn't very consistent. It's more about what the ref at that moment is feeling like type thing. (laughs) And that's probably been like the biggest 
disgruntled or disgruntled with a lot of fans is just okay we're getting the offsides um i guess calling correctly or consistently but when it comes to penalties it's more of a toss-up of the moment it's not judged by what the actual law in a sense is it's more about a lot of factors kind of come in is like the moment that all of this so i don't know i thought it was you know at, at the end of the day the way they're going to call it i feel like it was still a pen um because he did like hit his foot but you know i i've seen so many arguments it was back and forth from everyone so mm-hmm. you could make an argument for it or against it i still feel like the main inconsistent thing the var has is just offsides it's just where is offside is it the hand the elbow the shoulder like which one is it like mm-hmm. i still feel like i don't know and as a fan 10 weeks in nine weeks in or if not more no yeah it's like we don't even know and the players don't even know at some points so i feel like if that's a thing if we can't even explain it on a podcast like this or like the the fans who kind of do put in the time to kind of go deeper into figuring out what what is what what the rules are and we still don't know that's that's something a little wrong with that <laughs> it's like what but at the same time as well for at least the the Wilbeck Robertson situation soccer is still a contact sport like mm-hmm. you know things like that will happen and as just said it will really be up to the ref to decide what is a penalty and what isn't yeah but it's just a lot easier now I feel like for a ref to decide is like all right there needs to be a decision that happens here when sometimes mm-hmm. i feel like back in the days before var it could have just been nah it's just you know it's just how it is for soccer just all right let's play on so mm-hmm. i feel like we're starting to lose that kind of edge in at least in the Premier league where you you kind of start losing the play on and the flow of a game it's starting to mm-hmm. feel at times a bit like an nfl game where it's like, all right, time to review for like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> or like time to just bring a whole play back because of this. Because of like yeah. one very small technicality. So it's one of the main criticisms I've seen from just fans in just the Twitter comments and things like that. It's just even the fans don't know when to celebrate a goal at this point. It's just like, all right, we got to check it first. <laughs> yeah. You kind of lose that excitement because it's like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, okay. Now it's a goal. It's a goal. It's a goal. Yeah. You know, so, they can't take it back now. So I... But, I, I, I can't remember that. the last time I celebrated a goal at this point, actually. Like, maybe in the Champions League final or maybe in like one of the last games when Liverpool were winning the Premier League, but at least in this season, it's been just like my my first instinct now now is just <laughs> thinking, all right, yeah. it's not going to be given. No, I, I agree. I remember when um, United were making the comeback. Um, I think it was Cavani's first goal. I was like, oh, crap. Is he offside? He looks like he was offside, but he wasn't because they didn't have to check. But I was like, okay. And it was just he kind of loses that euphoric. I was like, yeah, they did it. And then it's like, okay, I got to calm down for a little bit. Okay, now. Okay, there we go. And then you just kind of lose that that moment, you know, um, <laughs> and such of like that celebration and everything. Because mm-hmm. I think players are starting to get used to it now because there's a lot of times they just check they like look back at the official just to make sure they're not checking or make sure it's not offsides and such. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one for sure. But um, I guess uh, you, you were mentioning a little bit about the frustration with Klopp. Did you feel like, I know it, for me at least, cause I work in journalism and such, I feel like I do have more sympathy towards like the broadcasters cause I know how hard it is to kind of go in uh, week in and week out to interview these managers, especially sometimes when they're not coming off the best result. And you kind of have to just ask the question as is, um, you know, sometimes I have more sympathy for the broadcasters because I feel like sometimes coaches in all sports can just get a little snarky and a little, um, just a little bit of an, in a mood for mm-hmm. no reason of their, you know, cause they're like, they're frustrated, but it's also, I wish they had a little bit more understanding of like, this is their job. And if they don't do this job, they don't get, you know, they get fired, you know? Um, so for me, I, I thought it was important that the broadcaster kind of just, you know, stood his ground a little bit and didn't get kind of pushed around from, you know, a manager. Cause I feel like it's important that, you know, that they still ask these questions even in the heat of the moment where it's sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. So, yeah, it was not the most professional thing from Klopp to say, but maybe mm-hmm. Klopp also maybe got the wrong impression from the way the question was asked mm-hmm. because I feel like maybe, if the interviewer is asking for a particular or prodding for a particular response, maybe Klopp didn't want to give it to him. So I think it's just a little bit of both sides. It could be either seen either way. Yes, 
I see you're saying it's like, you know, he's just got to do his job, but at the same also time. I have a unique perspective because I work in the media and not yeah. everyone works in the media. <laughs> and more people will actually sympathize with the manager at this point because like, you know, they're just like fans of the player or the coach or the team. Um, but I, I guess I have that unique perspective. I work in the media. So it's sometimes I have a little bit more sympathy towards the people that work in the media that are asking the questions. But I will be fair. There, there's some people that ask really dumb questions and you can't, <laughs> you can't disregard that. Um, so it's it's a bit of back and forth. Sarlax Ferguson used to do this all the time too. Mourinho does it all the time. Pep Guardiola gets snarky all the time. Frank Lampard gets snarky. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has gotten snarky. Everyone does it. So Klopp, I'm not just pinpointing Klopp because it's like oh Klopp was snarky every manager does this so Mm -hmm. it's important to keep that in mind it's not you know no one's perfect so even at like normal jobs you always get that occasional time it's like ah it's just uh, I'm not in the mood (laughs) (laughs) I gotta gotta do it though it's my job Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like all right it's like yeah you know it's one of those things where it just kind of happens but yeah, it's a it was an interesting one for sure for that for that game and there was just a lot of controversy that happened but um moving on to the Arsenal Wolves game again uh Wolves picking up a 2-1 win. I think we called that. I can't remember what our scoreline was but um I think I somehow picked Arsenal to win and kind of bounce back in this game but it it was a bad game. Um this game I saw that Arsenal basically put in 30 million crosses, sort of David Moyes-esque um, back when he was at Manchester United. And Arteta was basically defending it, saying that, oh, if we just got at the end of one of those, you know, we could have had such a big success rate and everything. And it was funny because Dav- uh, Mikel Arteta is looking more like David David Moyes than he is Pep Guardiola right now because this Arsenal team cannot score goals unless they're playing in the Europa League, which is um, a different story, I would say. But Arsenal... What the heck is going on? Uh, we were so high on this team and they just keep letting us down. It's looking like Louis Van Hall who's managing Arsenal right now. They just can't score goals right now. It's it's there's this one clip I saw that someone memed where Mikel Arteta was about to sub someone on, but then right before he got subbed on, I believe it was Klosniak, um, <laughs> he he just kind of looks into the the field and he just starts trying to think he's just like mm. and then people are just memeing it's like maybe he's trying to remember what pep guardiola's tactics board said in 2017 <laughs> before making up the tactic and telling his player what to do <laughs> it's starting to get a little i'd say overthought it's just mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't seem very simple the way arsenal are playing it's just there's i feel like it's so intricate at, that's, at this point where it's just like they can't even score a goal from open play still and yeah. it's like still biting them in the butt. It's the same issue that we kind of mentioned in the last episode of the podcast where, you know, Arsenal just are the undoings of themselves where they just can't play free enough to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of weird. At the same time, a lot of Arsenal fans I've seen on Twitter, at least, are just saying there's a lot of players that need to be replaced. There's a lot of players that need to be brought in to kind of make the team better. The quality is just not there. And then mm-hmm. certain players are highlighted. It's like, we need these people to be the cornerstones of the team, such as Tierney, Leno, Pepe, and then replace everyone else around them, kind of things like that. Or like, you know, keep Partey in the middle. Like, everyone has their own managerial solutions for what yeah. Arteta is doing. But Arteta is kind of losing time to try to figure out a solution because you know Unai Emery was in the same scenario when he was the manager it was just like all right just give him a little bit of time maybe he's just taking some time for him to get his tactics down in the players and maybe he'll start they'll start to do better but they never came yeah. and Arteta I feel like is not improving yeah I think they I think you know they always do this thing where they always compare managers <laughs> especially after one gets fired they compare them like during their first 50 games and I think the record was pretty much very similar to what Unai Emery had in terms of, I think Emery actually scored a little bit more goals in his first couple games, his first 50 games as Arsenal manager, but record, um, you know, wins, draws, losses, pretty much similar from Unai Emery and Arteta. I, you know, I think it's very fun in games to compare, but sometimes I don't really think that's a very apples to apples type comparison because there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that were going on because you have to look at what Emery still had at Arsenal, what Arteta's inheriting, you know, what the scenarios were. So I think it's still fun to like compare, but I feel like there's a lot of things that, you know, that, um, you know, it's very easy to compare surface level things, but there's a lot of deep rooted issues that still need to be figured out. And I think Arteta is still going through that, but 
you know, I think um, a lot. What a lot of these big clubs like Chelsea did with Frank Lampard, Solskjaer with Manchester United, uh, Arteta with Arsenal. These are young managers that are having these big managerial jobs as pretty much as like almost their first career, um, big head coaching jobs. And we're seeing that this is coming with a lot of growing pains. Last season with Lampard, um, yeah, they looked pretty good attacking wise, but their defense was struggling. And now it looks like Lampard is starting to figure things out slowly but surely. But with Arteta, as you say, it could be one of those things where he's overthinking it. And now he's got to learn on the fly at this huge mega club and, you know, at a certain point, they're not going to keep, you know, dealing with a bunch of losses and draws and stuff. And Solskjaer um, is dealing with that as well. So maybe we're seeing a little bit of the growing pains of just chucking in a young, you know, a young 40-year-old manager thinking like he's going to be the next Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we don't really know if it's one or the other. But in terms of what the issue is, the tactics, the manager, or mm-hmm. the players. But you know, I think it's still a little bit of both. Yeah. I don't think it's like one thing or the other. But I guess the way to kind of like conclude this kind of section is just: Do you think Arsenal have the players to succeed under Arteta? Uh, I don't think they have um, all of them just yet. I think um, I think they still need. Just like Manchester United, I think there there's still a lot of structural things that need to be put in place because I have a, a friend that's a big Arsenal fan and he kind of says the same thing where um, there's still a lot of structural things that need to be put in place for them to become more consistent because like Manchester United, it's still kind of like a not wishy-washy, but it's still kind of like up and down. There's a lot of inconsistent ebbs and flows of how this team plays, so... I think uh, I think there's still a couple players away from really challenging. I thought Partey, you know, he, granted he has been injured, but I think when he does play, I think they look a lot better, um, more more, you know, just more structurally better as a team. I think Bayerin has been pretty good this season. He's starting to get back and picking up form. Tierney's off, obviously been pretty good. They just need to figure out a way to get Aubameyang chances to score. He's their main player. This is the the best player at Arsenal. And for some reason, they're not feeding him the ball. He's not scoring. They just got to get him out of this rut that he's in. And I think when they do that, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arsenal start picking up some good results um, sooner than later if they mm-hmm. can get him scoring again. I was just wondering that because on paper, if you just look at all the individual players on Arsenal, they have a lot of good players. Like If you look yeah. at the, the team sheet and then compared it to their opponent that they face Wolves, a lot of individual players on Arsenal are better than the Wolves side. You know, yeah. Wolves, you can name five players off the top of your head. It's like, you know, Adama Traore, Raul Jimenez, and then Podence. Like, and just go yeah, like that. Neto and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for Arsenal, you can say there's a lot of players on their team immediately. They just pop out. It's like, oh, these are like some of the top players in the world already. Like Obama Yang and then players who have potential to be some of the best. Like Pepe, I still feel like has that potential. He's just maybe not in the right system or acclimated yet. And then mm-hmm. Tierney has he has like kind of Robertson esque kind of mentality where he's just like I don't care what anyone says or does. I'm just gonna do my own thing. And then you know, mm-hmm. I, maybe it's that Scottish connection. Yeah, <laughs> but like Arsenal don't have the pieces. It's just I don't know if these pieces really fit in this jigsaw of Arteta, and maybe that's why. Because in my opinion, at least. Arsenal have a lot of good players and maybe they, they do still need a few others to really fit in that they really need to pick up to kind of go to that upper level. But for how they're doing in the league at 14th, I feel like it's a big underperformance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's I feel it, like that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that they beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. And everyone thought they were going to, that's the game that takes them to the next level. But it's funny because United end up are in a better position, you know, in terms of the table than they are. United are only five points off from the from first place and with a game in hand. And Arsenal are the ones still trying to figure out and struggling in the Premier League. So it just kind of shows how wacky the season is. But I wanted to quickly mention with Wolves, um, a scary, scary situation happened with Raul Jimenez. Um, it came back that he actually had a fractured skull and a challenge with that. I think it was David Luiz in the game. Um, uh, but it looks like he is going to be recovered from the Wolves um, Twitter account and such. So hopefully uh, we'll be seeing him soon and wishing him a speedy recovery because he's definitely one of the top Premier League players. Um, and I would say top one of the, probably one of the best 
20 best strikers, 15 best strikers in the world. He's very, very good. So yeah, hoping for a quick and speedy recovery for him. But yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention that. And uh, these are some quick fire results, um, kind of shock results a little bit. Um, Fulham beating Leicester City 2-1, kind of crazy. Um, again, Brendan Rodgers, uh, Leicester City actually did lose again in the Europa League today too. So um, again, Brendan Rodgers kind of having this weird downward spiral a little bit. He's going to have to like, you know, ride the ship, get a little bit more stable. And Leeds beating Everton 1-0, Rafinha um, scoring a pretty wonderful goal. But Everton, just like Leicester, are kind of off this um, downward spiral after Everton won, won four games in a row and everyone thought they were going to be the next Premier League champions. And then Liverpool kind of put them in their place. And now they just have not been able to pick up the form lately. So it's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Everton... Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, our, Liverpool fan right there. The Liverpool fan, it's like, all right, now they're kind of put in place. But for Leicester, at least, this is a little different to see from mm-hmm. Brendan Rodgers' side. Usually, that spiral, downward spiral, doesn't happen until the end of the season. So, maybe it's just like a short rut where they're going through. But mm-hmm. coming into the Christmas period, that's really dangerous to be not in form. So, yeah. But at the same time... You can spin it where now there's a lot more opportunities because there's going to be a lot of games to kind of change that. Mm-hmm. So that is pretty surprising. And Fulham, this is a big result for them, I feel like. It's yeah. really underrated to see, you know, a Fulham side getting three points against, you know, a top team. So I think, yeah. if if anything, we should be highlighting Fulham getting these three points because this three points is going to be crucial for, you know, the mm-hmm. longevity or throughout the, the season, so... Because is it the, I think the the table right now, because um, I think Sheffield obviously on the bottom because they have zero wins. And I think Burnley also have zero wins as well, right? Burnley um, has one. Okay. Because the bottom three what, is Sheffield, Burnley, and... West um, Brom. West Brom. But West Brom, I think, didn't they pick up a result too? I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, but something came yes, in there. they beat came, Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, they beat Sheffield, which is the other relegation side team. So... Um, you know, the relegation battle, as much as we're talking about top four, the relegation battle in a weird way is uh, is becoming a little bit weird this season because it's very rare you see um, at this point in the season a team, a couple teams only have like one win. Um, so it, it's definitely heating up right there. But wanting to quickly uh, transition over to the Champions League real quickly and talk about the Premier League clubs real quickly, I wanted to highlight, uh, I, I would say we wanted to highlight Liverpool, Manchester City, and Chelsea. All three of those Premier League sides have... Um, advanced to the round of 16 so kudos to you guys you know holding it down for the premier league sides um and unfortunately manchester united psg rb leipzig are all tied with nine points heading into the final match day um everyone knew this was the group of death and this um scenario definitely shows that it was worth its um name of the group of death because uh manchester united right now sit on top of the table but um, they entered the final match day facing RB Leipzig, and obviously they will go through if they win, and I think they will also go through if they draw because they hold the tiebreaker over Leipzig, and it was a win and a loss against PSG. But PSG obviously faced the weakest team in the group, which is Istanbul Bashikshir. Bashikshir. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I want to say the name correctly, but for me, when I look back at this group, I know United lost 3-1 against PSG, and for the most part, it looked like they could have won that game. And unfortunately, Fred got sent off, PSG got that second goal, and then obviously, they just couldn't stop him on the counterattack and Mbappe. It's crazy when I watch Mbappe, though, because I, I don't watch enough Ligue 1. When I watch Mbappe, it's it's amazing to see how skillful and how fast he is. Like When you think about fast players, Mbappe, to me, when I watch him, he literally outran the whole entire United defense like it was nothing. And it's amazing to me just how fast he is. And um, watching Neymar is still a treat. But when I look back, I, I just am baffled that United really missed an opportunity to just clearly, comfortably get out of this group by losing the Istanbul Bashiktir, Bashiktir um, 2-1 in that match day when basically Dembaba ran the entire United defense. It is uh, it's something that still keeps me up at night because it's, it's one of those things we could have comfortably been into the round of 16 and now we are in... Um, squeaky bum time going into the final match day and um, I'm a little confident but also it's 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 a little nerve-wracking I will say and it's a little crazy to see there is a chance PSG could be in the Europa League I believe mm-hmm. if 
you know, they lose and then Leipzig and Man U is a draw. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I want to see PSG in the Europa League, see Neymar and Mbappe playing in there, I think they're probably going to go through. So I, I think it's going to be very much who gets second, Man U or Leipzig. I still have I still have faith in Man U for this. I feel like based on that first matchup against Leipzig, you know, Man U will have that, that edge. And also Cavani's just starting to come up as the player everyone was thinking he's going to be, just like the player he's always been in the past decade, I would say. Just a kind of prolific player, a player that can make things happen. While Martial, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> missed a few he's, big chances. Yeah, no, he, he's he been, you know, he's not really kicked on this um, this campaign. You know, I, I'm hoping that he can kind of recapture a little bit of that form from last season. But, it, you know, it's kind of, he's almost similar esque to Gabriel Jesus. I still think Marcial is a little bit of a better player than Jesus, but it's kind of that argument that United fans make is like, is Marcial really going to take the step to be that number one main striker for Manchester United, like the number nine? And unfortunately, it's been, you know, throughout all these seasons, we've kind of seen spurts of it, but we haven't seen a consistent running. Uh, last season was probably his most consistent season at Manchester United. And Still then, I think people still pose the question mark of whether he's the true number nine. And this season, it's still kind of bringing up that question. And with Cavani, Cavani has shown that, you know, he has, like, he obviously is a true number nine. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with Marcio. I, I want to see him kick on, but it's just been a struggling campaign for him to really get going. He's missed a lot of chances. He hasn't been the most sharpest. I think he's getting a little bit sharper as each match goes on, but it's it's not been the best for Marcio right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like he has the positioning down and also just certain times placement. It's just like sometimes just not enough power or just, yeah, just missing that one ingredient. Oh, to get a he goal had the perfect in. chance, the perfect chance to put it two one United against PSG. And he just skied it. Just uh, left his shooting boots at home. <laughs> I will say, did you see say. that Cavani's chip that almost could be chip shot? Oh my gosh. That would have been insane. Like, do you start Cavani now? He has been recently, but I I don't think you can because, I you know, with his age, I think it's kind of a risk with the amount of games being played to start him week in and week out. I think, you you know, Solskjaer has done a good job of rotating him throughout, you know, whether that's keeping him on the bench, starting him a couple games, keeping him on the bench. I still think that's the formula to go because I think you just have to trust that Martial is going to more likely stay fit than Cavani because of the age and, you know, everything that goes with that. But I think... um, I would like for them to start him more, but I, I, I don't think he has enough legs at his age to just do that continuously, I would say. Then it's all about the brains. Like yes. those old men you see at your local parks. Like yeah. 70-year-old man still up killing games. it. Yeah, yeah, the pickup games. Maybe Cavani <laughs> can transition to be that guy. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I like Cavani. I think it's been good. But um, I know you mentioned that you think PSG and United are going out. I still think it'll probably be PSG and Manchester United. And a lot of pundits still think that's going to be the two that advance. But, oh, this is not good. I'm very nervous about going in the final match day against Leipzig, a team that they hammered 5-0, which is definitely going to have the revenge factor in mind. So it's it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun, but we'll see. We'll see. But, um, yeah, we want to transition to the, uh, I guess, like previewing this weekend of games. We have... Chelsea leads to start off um, start off the preview section. I think this game is very exciting because whenever Leeds play, it's always uh, box office, you know, end-to-end, just a very fun game to watch. And Chelsea have been very good defensively, but um, I, I think Chelsea will probably still win. I think they win 2-1. I think Leeds will somehow find a way to squeak a goal, but I don't think Leeds is strong enough yet to just go toe-to-toe with a big boy and, you know, win consistently. I've been noticing that. I've been noticing a lot of Leeds games have been just the broadcast game that I just happen to flip on whenever I... S- it's fun to watch. It is fun to watch. And it's yeah. just like, oh, it's, oh yes, another weekly Leeds game. I feel like I watch as much Leeds as I do Liverpool at this point. Exactly, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also agree with you, Ash. I think Chelsea do have the upper advantage in terms of just quality of the team mm-hmm. and, and just the players. They have that really good defense as you know, uh, as you just mentioned earlier in the podcast because of uh, no Kepa. So I think that will be a big factor. I think Leeds might get a goal. So it'll be, it won't be too high scoring for Leeds, but for Chelsea, I'd, 
seeing that leaky Lee's defense. <laughs> It'd be a three-one, yeah. I think, for Chelsea. I Maybe mean, Bamford gets a goal for Leeds, but then for the Chelsea side, we'll see. Going against his former club, right? Patrick Bamford wasn't he a Chelsea player? I don't remember. I just remember oh, he, he was on Middlesbrough. Yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough. I feel like he was on Chelsea at one point. He was like a youth player, but um, that could just be like another player that's um, off my mind. But yeah. I will say, I, whenever you hear certain players, it's like, oh yeah, he was a former United player. He was a former Liverpool player. It's like, what? That, that guy? <laughs> it's like, yeah, in the academy at age 13. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't actually play like in the in the senior squad and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. Leeds United, they're a fun team to watch, but they're just not strong enough defensively to, um, I would say, consistently get points in the Premier League. Um, and now we have Liverpool Wolves, which is going to be a really good game. I'm going, I'm curious to see what Liverpool are going to line up with because, like Tyler said, they just keep getting these injuries. But I will say this, um, barring any other injuries, hopefully not, I think Liverpool have done such an uh, uh, just an absolute fantastic job of just somehow managing to stay in first place of the Premier League with the amount of injuries they've had. And to me, I will say um, Jota, for me, has kind of put himself in that conversation as probably the third most or top five most important Liverpool players this season, um, along up there with, you know, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah and, uh, you know, Ali Son because of the impact he's had. I mean, every game I turn that's a Liverpool game, I feel like he's somehow scoring or assisting at this point. He's also the one that kind of makes things happen in terms of being mm-hmm. the one who gets a shot off or plays a player. And he, he kind of has that little creativity on him. <laughs> it, was, it was funny during the Brighton game when Diego Jota was going off and you know, make some magic happen. You just pan over to Lalana on the on the bench, just like. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. That was pretty sad. Lalana, he came on and then gets injured like ten minutes in into the game. Oh, it was it was a little rough because I did like Lalana. He was a really good player because he had that little magic turn of his where he just kind of just turns around like so fluidly, so smoothly. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, when those games happen, when you are playing against your friends like sometimes you've got to kind of forget those friendships for a little bit mm-hmm. at least for those 90 minutes but hopefully a speedy recovery for him not much and hopefully it'll be a good matchup against wolves because wolves the thing i'm really worried about is just nico williams against potence on that side mm. it's just yeah. i don't know if nico williams can keep up with potence he might need some help from Matip or whoever Klopp decides to put at the right center back position mm-hmm. but it will be a big task there i think robertson will be able to lock down the other side against dama or uh pedro neto whoever uh santos decides to play but i think hmm i think liverpool cannot afford to you know drop points again they got really lucky in the europa league i'm not europa champions league against (laughs) oh my gosh no 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 (laughs) again that's a a wild back that's a yeah. while back. <laughs> that, that flashback to like 2014. But I think, you know, you kind of make your own luck, especially in the Champions League against Ajax. And mm-hmm. Nico Williams assisted a goal to Curtis Jones. And that's something you love to see, a academy product connection to yeah. score a goal and also assist one. So I think that would be a big boost. I think Liverpool could, they have to get, that they have to get the win to kind of stay competitive. So I think Liverpool will win 2-1. Hmm. It was a very long-winded yeah. answer, but <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't remember what I had my score on, but I think uh, I'll I'll go um, I'll go one nil actually. I think Liverpool will win, but I think you know I think they could do enough to get a clean sheet there, not keep the scores too similar. And then the big game of the weekend, we have the North London derby, um, Tottenham versus Arsenal, a game which you know surprisingly, as we as we noted, Tottenham are in first place. And they're facing a Arsenal side that are struggling right now. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what to expect with this game because in a lot of ways, I feel like Mourinho will still want to come in with a point. But I also see that this different side of Mourinho will kind of come in and just want to dominate. And they'll find a way to win and break through this Arsenal defense. Um, But I still think at the end of the day, I think Tottenham with Hyunmin Son, Harry Kane, um, you know, and Dembele, uh, just all the players they have. You know, I think I think they win this game two one. I I don't I don't know if Arsenal has enough to stop Tottenham, and also I don't think they have enough to keep up with the scoring that Tottenham have on the offensive side. 
Hmm. I I'm just gonna straight up say, like potentially Tottenham have the tactics and the firepower to win this game three zero. I feel like that is a possibility. But knowing Mourinho for certain games like this against opponents where it is a little bit more crucial and there will be a lot of emotions being a North London Derby, he will try to be a little bit more conservative. And he knows he can be because Arsenal are not going to attack him very well. well <laughs> so Yeah, because Arteta's uh, game plan in big games is usually to be the one sitting back and hit on mm-hmm. the counterattack. So if Tottenham get that first goal, which I feel Ooh. like they could, all they do is really just sit back. And I think that's what Mourinho will do. And I think it will be a 1-0 to Tottenham. Yeah. It'll be a little bit of a tactics masterclass that will be a little boring to watch. but Yeah. And Mourinho has a good record against Arsenal. I remember when he was at United, he somehow just like always dominated Arsenal. And even back to his Chelsea days, Arsenal was his kind of, not his puppet, but he would just dominate that team um, like it was no tomorrow. So <laughs> we'll see if that curse can kind of be broken uh, with the big game this weekend. But yeah, other than that, that um, is kind of wraps up episode 98 for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, uh, drop us a rating on iTunes. But obviously, um a listen is more than enough for us as we said with uh all the episodes we've been doing in 2020 it is awesome seeing the support we greatly appreciate it i know we say that almost every episode but it doesn't hurt to keep saying it because it's uh it means a lot to us that you guys take the time out of your day to listen Um, we're also on youtube at the premiere pod where you can see actually the video portion of the podcast if you like see the jerseys we're looking uh we're rocking see our uh, background and stuff (laughs) but um yeah other than that that kind of wraps up um season three episode 98 for us thank you guys so much for listening and that kind of does it for us peace peace